Good morning, everybody. Good morning to everybody who may be watching us online. My name is Mike. I'm on staff here at the church, and I have the tremendous uh, joy, and that's what it is. It's really a joy to open up the Word of God with you here today. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take that out right now. We're going to be in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, as we have been for the last couple of weeks. And uh, if you're able to stand, I ask that you do that as we hear from the Lord through His Word. Again, it's 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. The Word of God says the following. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord God, this is your church. This is your church, and you have given us uh, instructions as to how it ought to function. And we have uh, some of those before us today in this passage. I pray that you would be heard loud and clear, uh, even though there is uh, some ambiguity in this passage, uh, your truth would come through, and that we would have uh, receptive uh, ears and, and hearts to hear it and then apply it rightly. Lord, as May prayed, I am but dust. Lord, I pray that you would use me uh, to communicate to your people. And I ask that in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> well, as you can see, we're in the middle of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, right uh, smack dab between the qualifications for an elder and qualifications for a deacon. And we're continuing our uh, series that we've entitled Caring for God's Church. And before we talk about deacons, which will be the topic for today, uh, I thought it would be a good carryover from last week for me to just speak very briefly about our elders here. Uh, I have been blessed by each and every one of those men. I believe each and every one of those men meets the qualifications uh, as Pastor Ben laid out for us last week in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So I have a, a lot of gratitude for these men. And, and I want to highlight one particular elder in an encounter I had with him not too long ago. kind of jumps to mind. I, was, uh, I went bowling with Elder Jim Rowell. Uh, he was the guy in the video, if you saw, and he's also serving, I believe, as a guardian out uh, in the lobby. And uh, if you've ever gone bowling, there's a, there's a lot of downtime between frames. 
Uh, so you can say there's a lot of time to spare. So we... Man, you, got, you guys are with it today. You didn't even let me get the punchline out. I got more. There's a lot of time to spare. So we struck up a conversation. And we kept it above board and kept it out of the gutter. But you guys... Wow, man. You guys are awesome. You guys had your coffee this morning or something. Had a good, good night's sleep. But Elder Jim and I were talking, and uh, we share a lot in common. We're both from upstate New York, so we follow the, the sports teams and talk about that uh, region of the, of the country when we get together. Uh, so we have that in common, but that's not what we spoke about this day. Because uh, Elder Jim uh, took this opportunity to ask me a very probing question. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, Mike, what is God doing in your life right now? Which is a good question. Very good question. See, Elder Jim cared enough about the spiritual state of my soul as to inquire of it. Right? That's caring for God's church. He wasn't doing it from the pulpit. Wasn't even within these church walls. It was in a bowling alley. And like I said, that's a good question to ask because it launched us into a very deep, very stimulating back and forth conversation where I got to learn about him, he got to learn about me, and I was benefited that day greatly. So if you find yourself in a bit of a rut in conversation, you know, with your, maybe even your spouse or your kids or your family or friends, you know, instead of the, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Great. Now that we're all caught up, you know, why don't you mix in a, what is God doing in your life right now? And see where that conversation goes. I appreciated that about Elder Jim. So as we move from qualifications for, for elders to qualifications for deacons, we have to ask the question, what is a deacon? Who is a deacon? Quite simply, deacon means servant. A deacon is one who serves. Deacons are not the same as elders. They are distinct. Deacons are not elders in training, as some people believe. No, they are an entity unto themselves. But like elders, they have certain qualifications. If you're going to occupy this office in the church, the office of deacon, there are certain qualifications that must be met. And that's what we have before us today. But just when you hear deacon, think servant. All right? So that brings me to my first point. For every one of us who claims Christ, you are a servant. You do deacon-like things, whether you have the title or role of deacon or not. No one gets a pass. I like what uh, David Platt said. He said, elders are servant leaders. Deacons are leading servants but we all serve. Why? Because we're Christians. We're following in the way of the Master, Jesus Christ, the ultimate servant. We, we examine His life. We look at how He lived, and we walk accordingly. We serve as He served. We act like Him. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. See, there aren't, there aren't three offices in the church, like, like there's elder, and then there's you know, a leader or a deacon, and then there's spectator. 
Like nobody gets to play the role of spectator. I'll just sit back, watch everybody doing all kinds of things, all kinds of activity happening, service being rendered. I just watch. New Testament does not allow for that. And frankly, neither does Living Water Community Church. So we all serve. And this is what's known as a universal application if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And even if we took it outside of the, of the church context, we understand a universal application. I'll show you. You go out to a, a restaurant, and before uh, the meal, you go to the restroom. You do your business in the restroom. You approach the sink. You see there by the mirror a sign that says, employees must wash hands. Now, I hope you're not somebody who says, well, I don't work here. <laughs> I'm not collecting a paycheck from this restaurant. Therefore, I don't have to follow that. If that describes your thought process, you know, when I see you here at church, uh, we can forego the handshake. Uh, <laughs> away, hey, Mike, from a distance. You know, I'm, I'm good, really, with that. You know, a head nod. So, you know, that's fine, okay? But just like we all know that we're all called to wash our hands in the restroom, we are all called to serve in the church. That's my first point. See, before we even look at these qualifications for the office of deacon, I want you to notice something about the list. Right? These aren't a list of jobs. It's not a job description, a list of duties to perform. They're qualities, it's qualities over responsibilities. Just like it was last week, as Pastor Ben walked through the, the qualifications for an elder, right? Same thing, with the exception that elders have the, the responsibility that they must be able to teach, right? That was verse 2. And then it also says in Titus 1 that they must be able to uh, refute those who oppose sound doctrine, right? But apart from those, really elders and deacons, it's the same. It's about a person's character. That's a point Pastor Ben made last week. I just want to pick it up today because it's consistent throughout here. So if in real estate it's all about location, 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 you can say with the offices of elder and deacons, it's all about character, character, character. You don't see a list of skills, certain abilities that a deacon must have. You know, they got to be proficient in Microsoft Excel. They got to know their way around a spreadsheet so that they can track giving and such. Not there. Uh, they got to be strong. You gotta, deacons may need to lift tables and lug them around the building or stack chairs. You don't see that either. Doesn't say that they got to run a, a sweeper effectively. Now, I use that term sweeper for your benefit. Where I'm from, a sweeper is a vacuum. So I moved to Pennsylvania, and all of a sudden, sweepers be, or vacuums became sweepers. I never understood that. I mean, if I think of the word sweeper, I associate that with a broom. So if anyone's a sweeper, it's the one wielding the broom. Am I, am I crazy or what? While we're on this thread and it's going so well, let me... <laughs> People say this too. We're going to have a little fun here today. People say, I I I'm going to go put the sweeper away. You want to come with? 
with you? Are you gonna you gonna finish that sentence? Like where I'm from, we finish sentences. Seems kind of crazy to me, right? You want me to finish that sentence, right? All right. Just little weird things about Pennsylvania. All right. Now that I've alienated all the native Pennsylvanians. All right. Last thought before we get to these qualifications. If it isn't a list of of duties and jobs to perform, you might ask the question, then what does a deacon do? What do they do? Valid question. And the answer to that is, whatever's needed. It's based upon the need. That's what it is. See, God in His brilliance, when He wrote the Bible... He didn't give specific things that would only apply to a particular group of people at a particular time in a particular region. No, he gives principles and and the character qualities of an individual, and then what that individual does varies depending upon the church and the time and the region and just the makeup of that church. But you can say that deacons do certain things. There's, There's a lot of commonalities. Like I said, they... They will collect and and count offerings. So handling money is often uh, something a deacon will do. Setting up tables and chairs, right? Sometimes serving tables, a la Acts 6, which we will get to. Might be doing home visits for those who who can't get out or are homebound and going to visit and pray with them or visit and pray with people that are in the hospital. The point is, it's whatever is needed. That's what the deacon does. The deacon doesn't ask the question, okay, so I'm a deacon, now what do I need to do? They don't concern themselves with that. It's not what do I need to do, it's what needs to be done. Because here I am, I'll do it. That's the heart of a deacon, a true servant's heart. It might mean going to the airport to pick up some big time, you know, big notable uh, speaker who's coming to the church for a conference. And it might be sometimes you're picking up dog poop from a dog that left a mess by the entrance to that conference. So whether it's picking up a dignitary at the airport or picking up dog poop in the parking lot, to the deacon it doesn't matter. It's what needs to be done. That's what they do. They say, I'm here, I got you. Whatever you need. So let's look at the character qualities in 1 Timothy 3. What would be indicative of this person with this servant-like mentality? We have a number of them in verse 8. First one, dignified. They need to be dignified. This is the opposite of a goof-off. Somebody who just doesn't take anything serious. Doesn't mean you can't laugh and joke and be a deacon who has a sense of humor. But again, some people are just silly and irreverent and and they don't take things seriously at all. A deacon will take their service serious, right? There's that mentality, there's a serious purpose about them and they are respectable. There's somebody that you would want to emulate. That's what it means to be dignified. Second on the list would be not double-tongued. The NIV renders it sincere. Again, deacons deal a lot with people. So a deacon can't be saying one thing to one person over here and then saying something else to another person over here such that you can't trust what they say. You know, our culture talks about being 
two-faced, similar here to double-tongued. You've got to be able to trust your deacon, especially in what they say. Not addicted to, to uh, much wine. It's the next qualification. Wine, very prevalent in the first century. This was offered as a gesture of hospitality. So if a deacon is making visits to people's homes, they're going to be offered wine. Granted, back then it was watered down significantly, but it was wine nonetheless. So you can't have a deacon who's given to alcohol. If, if they're a drunkard, they don't qualify. Last one in verse 8, not greedy for dishonest gain. Again, deacons often handle money. And what I always say around here is that people get funny about their money. You better be a trustworthy person if you're going to handle the church finances. If you're going to be involved in people's pocketbooks and wallets, you need to be a careful, trustworthy person. See, often a deacon will distribute funds to those in need. So you can't have a Judas on your team. You know, one for you, one for me. One for you, two for me. Right? Can't have that. Can't be have them skimming off the top and having their hand in the money bag. Can't be a greedy person. Otherwise, they're not qualified. Look with me at verse 9. Verse 9 says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. When I first read that, I put a question mark in the margin of my Bible. I wasn't sure. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, the mystery of the faith is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses to convey, he's, he's talking about Christian truth, namely the gospel. There's a theological component to being, in a, being a deacon. The mystery, again, is, is that which was once hidden and has now been revealed. So a deacon needs to know their Bible. They have to be a good, good theologian with sound doctrine and can't be in a sea of confusion when it comes to theological matters. That's that whole clear conscience part. Got to think clearly theologically. Now again, the elder is the one who must be able to teach. We don't have that for deacon here. So it's not one of the qualifications but a deacon can teach if God has gifted them in that manner. So in addition to being a good servant, a good deacon is a good theologian. That's what verse 9 is getting at. Verse 10, And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. There should be a testing period. You don't just throw them into the water, and then see if they can swim. you got to test them first. If you put them in without that testing period, you leave yourself open for all sorts of problems. So there must be that testing period. And think about it like this. This right here, this is a body. The church is a body called the body of Christ. right? So if you think about it like in, with, in regard to physical bodies, if you're going to take an organ and do like an organ transplant, I've been married to a dialysis nurse for more than 25 years, so I've learned a few things over the years. So when, they, when they're seeing if somebody's a good candidate to donate a kidney, 
They don't just take any old kidney and throw it into any old body. There's a testing that must be done. Make sure it's the right blood type and all of that. And it's the same in the role or the office of deacon. You got to take a good candidate, somebody who has the potential to be a deacon, look at them, examine them, examine 1 Timothy 3, do they fit? Do they fit together or do they collide? And they're mutually exclusive. They must match up. And that's what's to be determined during this testing period. That brings us to verse 11. Verse 11 has kept me up at night for about a week and a half. Very controversial. Very controversial. Not on its face, but I tend to show you the controversy. If you like a good theological controversy, something meaty that you can chew on, you came to church on the right day, because I got you. Okay, we got a big one. Let me read it. Verse 11 says this. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. You say, Mike, what's the big deal? Right? It's talking about wives of deacons. Seems to mirror verse 8. What are you talking about? Where does the controversy come in? Well, this verse is at the heart of a theological question that has been debated for a long time, and it is still going on today. And the question is this, can women be deacons? That is the question. So let me ask you a rhetorical question. Where do you stand on that issue? And if you do stand somewhere, you've, you've reached a conclusion. It's kind of a two-part question. How did you get there? What, what led you to that conclusion? Did you just go with what seems right? You know, whatever, whatever feels right to you, that I feel they should be, or I feel they shouldn't be. Do you say, well, that was the tradition I was raised in, church I grew up in, so that's how I arrived at that position, based upon tradition, or mama told me, right? Or do you just... Lick your finger, hold it up, and see which way the winds of change are blowing that day. Those are all insufficient ways to arrive at a good conclusion. You don't derive truth from those right there. Let me suggest to you a better way. What do the scriptures say? What does the Bible say on this matter? Shai Lin, in one of his songs, he says, The first question to settle any discussion is what do the scriptures say? Not my feelings, intelligence, or wisdom. That's just a Christianized version of relativism. So let's go to the scriptures. But here's the rub. It's complex. It is very complex, in my opinion. Like I said, I started about a week and a half ago on this because I knew it was in there, and I had to you know, get equipped, basically, by studying it prayerfully for a good 10 days at least. So before we get into it, uh, there may be a question that you have in your mind right now that I've yet to address. You might be thinking, does living water have a deacon ministry? And the answer to that right now is no. Right now. But currently, our elder board is working to implement a deacon ministry, such that they've already arrived at a position on the question at hand here, and they're just kind of working out some of the you know, the other details regarding that. So this, this text is very relevant. It's perfect timing, in fact, the way God ordained this. I mean, that we're dealing with this today. 
So let me, let me try to frame the debate for you. I'll try to give you the significant points, kind of just give you enough to, to get a flavor of it and then you know, send you on your way for further study because we're, we're not going to plumb the depths here today. It's just not possible. But we will scratch the surface. So like I said, this verse, verse 11, is at the heart of this question, can women be deacons? And it starts right away at the first Greek word in that verse 11. It's guni. Guni in the Greek, which gets translated in our ESV as their wives. But guni is a neutral word that simply means women. Okay? Paul used it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, when he said, women should dress modestly. He's not referring to wives only. He's referring to all women in general. That was that word guni. That's why I have it bold, underlined, highlighted. If I could put it in neon lights, I would. That is central to the discussion right there. So not all English translations render it their wives. For example, the NASB you see on the screen there says women. They interpret that Greek word gune with just the word women. All right. The ESV has tipped their hand here in terms of interpretation, which is, which is okay. That's what translations do. That's really not the question. The question is, is that a valid interpretation? That's the question we have to ask. So if you go to a website, which I, I have bookmarked, I use all the time, it's uh, biblehub.com. You can type in a single verse, and it'll give you like, I don't even know, 25, 30 different English translations of that verse, and you can kind of skim down, and you can see how it gets rendered in different, you know, different translations. I looked at the first 14 translations of this verse. Eight of them translated their wives. Six translated women. Very split. And these are solid translations, the first 14 there. So many who hold to the women interpretation, they would say, what Paul's doing here is he's instituting a new office. Women deacons. That's what he's doing. Now many on the other side, many but not all, this is key, not all who believe it should be their wives would say men only. But, but many would say that, but not all of them would say that. So that's kind of what's going on here, all right? And there are different camps out there. There's nuances all across the board. There's like three or four different camps you could fall into. I just want to look at the two, all right? Those who believe that it's, uh, the office of deacon is for men only, and then those who say it's men and women. Those are the two we're going we're gonna to narrow it down. And let me just say this. This is a non-essential Right? This is, is, we ought not divide over this. No one should get mad. No one should be upset. This is a point of distinction, but it need not be a point of division. All right? it's, it's nothing to get all heated about. It's an in-house discussion. And we can just debate, discuss, dialogue about it. No one's a heretic. We're not going to flog anybody. You know, no one's getting burned at the stake over where they come down on this question. So let's let, take the heat off a little bit right there, okay? So let's look at the, the different views. I, I've set it up on the screen so you can see. And, and really engage with me here, please, because this is, it takes some thinking. I'm going to do my best to, to articulate it for you. So people on the men-only side there, they're going to quickly run to Acts chapter 6. If you remember Acts 6... 
The church has grown. Uh, there's a complaint lodged that some of the widows were not receiving their, their daily distribution of food. And in this passage here, most Bible scholars would say, this is the foundation here of the deacon office. Right? The deacon office finds its roots in Acts 6. Most scholars will say that. So it factors in somehow, some way. So verses 2 and 3 say the following. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven, here it is, men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So that side is going to say, look, there it is, seven men. But those on the other side are going to come along and they're going to say, you know, they're going to point out the fact that these men, and this is, this is controversial because you will hear them referred to as deacons, but the New Testament, to be precise, does not refer to them specifically as deacons, even though there is that connection between the office and Acts chapter 6. To be precise, they're not referred to as deacons. That is true according to my understanding. So you can see the, the, that's, that point is debated. Next one, textual continuity. What do I mean by that? Well, those who would say their wives, they would, they would point to the fact that Paul has already used that word, guni. He's used it twice already in this chapter, in verse 2 and verse 12. I'll have them up on the screen so you can see. That is the, the Greek word in question, and it is uh, translated wife. So if you're going to hold to the women interpretation, what this side is going to say is, they're going to say, you're having Paul switch the meaning of a single Greek word without any sort of rationale, notification, explanation, switch it midstream, and then immediately switch it back. And one author called this linguistic whiplash. This is not likely, given the orderly manner in which Paul writes. And along this line too, it must be said that the, the people who hold this view would say, Paul's discussing male deacons in verses 8 through 10, then if you want to insert women in 11, he then goes right back to men in verse 12. That's why if you have your Bible in front of you, you can see this. And they would say, that's very disjointed and awkward. That's their argument. And one last line in, in, in this with the regard to this argument, they would say verses 11 and 12, they form a single unit of thought. What's in view there? The family, wives, children, and households. That's their argument. Next, the issue of authority. The question here is, does the role of deacon in the church carry with it a measure of authority? Some would say absolutely yes, and then some would say no. Again, everything is debated really here. But the argument is, if the office of deacon carries with it uh, a certain measure of authority, the question is, how do you reconcile having women in that role, given what Paul had stated very clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 2 regarding the prohibition of women exercising authority over a man? You must contend with that. 
People on the other side would say, no, it's not an authoritative position. It's not about leadership. It's about service. And the debate rages on. I told you it was complex. Hopefully you're still with me. All right, one more on this side. The male-only deacons, they would say there's missing qualifications. They'd say there's, there's inconsistency here in terms of the requirements. For both elders and deacons, they have marriage standards, right? We saw it, husband of one wife, right? So they, they have that in verses 2 and 12 that we saw on the screen. And both elders and deacons have testing requirements. That's verses 6 and 10. So if Paul is referring to women deacons in verse 11, he has no requirements there in terms of the, them being tested or their marriages being examined. Just not there. Missing qualifications. So I think that's a fair representation of the one side. Some of that's pretty strong. I, I feel the weight of that. right? But as Proverbs says, you know, one side seems right until you, the other side comes along and examines it, etc. So now let's, let's flip to the other side. These are the folks who say women can be deacons. First line of argumentation. There is no there, there. Okay? Paul wanted to talk about wives of deacons. He could have, in the Greek, as I understand it, I don't read or speak Greek, but uh, the, the people who do, the scholars said, yeah, there's a way to say their wives if he wanted to convey that, but he doesn't do that. And they would say the people who are interpreting this as their wives, that is being inserted by the interpreter. The there is not there. See, that, that Greek word, uh, guni, in question there, whether it's wives or women, is dependent upon the context. And this side is going to argue the context isn't wives, the context is deacons. That's why it should be women deacons. Meanwhile, the other side is going to come along. You know, they got their response. You know they do. And you say, well, why didn't Paul just say deaconess? Settle the whole thing right there. Deaconess. Problem with that is that word didn't exist at that time. Came along about the fourth century. Next, what about the elders' wives? This is what they would say. They'd say, why would there be qualifications for the wives of deacons and no qualifications for the wives of elders? They carry a greater responsibility in terms of leadership and teaching. No qualifications for them, the elders' wives. But if Paul's talking about women deacons here, that whole thing falls apart. It goes away because Paul isn't talking about wives of deacons at all. Valid questions. The word likewise. Got to deal with the word likewise. See, they would say, look at the layout here. All right, of chapter 3, you have the intro there is, is the beginning. It's the, it's the first, the overseers. Then verse 8, we read it. It says, likewise deacons. But then in verse 11, it uses the word likewise again there. And they would say, this is Paul's way of introducing a third distinct group by the usage of the word likewise. Last one, last one. The curious case of a particular woman named Phoebe. You knew we had to talk about Phoebe. Romans 16.1, here it is. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sencria. There it is, right there. The NIV's got it. 
unless you got an ESV or other translation. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria. See, I hope you're feeling the weight of this and why I've had sleepless nights trying to figure this out. See, the word that gets translated there, the word in question, if I'm pronouncing it right, is diakonon. Diakonon. I, I, listen, to, I listen to 10 people pronounce that word, I get 12 pronunciations. I got no shot, basically. It's all Greek to me. But in diakonon, you can hear the word deacon. So like, well, okay, maybe, right? But you need to know this. Almost always when that word is used in the New Testament, almost always it's rendered servant or minister. Remember those 14 English translations I talked about? Only three render Romans 16.1 with the word deacon. The other 11 say servant. So why does the NIV use deacon then? What they would do is they would tie that word with the fact that it says of the church in Sencria. Okay, they're saying, Paul is saying here that she came from that church and that she represents that church in an official manner as holding office as deacon there. And that's, that's how they say it. It's kind of an indicator or clue why he, he words it that way. Therefore, they would say she is a female, she's a woman, and she is a deaconess or deacon, woman deacon. There you go. That's it. I, I hope you're still with me. All right. Again, we're just, we're just getting started. We could be here all day with this, okay, because there's layers to this. So let me ask you the question again. Where do you come down on women deacons? Well, I'll tell you where I came down, and I'm going to state my position emphatically. I'm going to be very dogmatic and definitive. My answer is this. I am 100% not sure. <laughs> this is very complex. Very complex, like I said. But I did arrive. I didn't want to just like stand, like straddle, you know, or just feet planted in midair. I wanted to come down somewhere, so I did. And I came down on this side. Women can be deacons. You say, well, all right, well, what was it? What was it, one of these arguments? I think they're both solid on both sides. Here's what tipped the scales for me. Church history. Church history. I looked at the saints that have gone before us, people who studied the Bible, translated the Bible, perhaps just, just really knowledgeable who came down on the view that women can be deacons. Okay? And, and even the current Christians today that I respect, that we quote from up here all the time, there's a whole list of people who side with, if you're with me, that women can be deacons. Here's who's on our team. These are some heavy hitters. Augustine, Calvin, Henry, Hodge, Edwards, Spurgeon, Warfield, Frame, MacArthur, Piper, Keller, the late Tim Keller, Dever, Chandler, Platt, Schreiner, Mounts, and Moo. That's a good lineup right there. I, I, I'd take that squad any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Right? There's some good folks in there that know their Bible well. But I'll add one more name to that list. And the name is Living Water Community Church. 
I read a 14-page document that was produced and approved by our elder board. And that's where they came down, that the office of deacon can be held by both men and women. Let me, uh, let me close with a, with a story for you. There was a, a mission in Philadelphia. This story made its way around the Philly area, and I heard about it a number of years ago. It stuck in my brain. It's a mission, sort of like Bethesda Mission here in Harrisburg, where they would care for um, you know, alcoholics and drug addicts, and, and people would come in off the street, you know, just doing that really good work. And, and there was a guy who came to the mission often. His name was Joe. And Joe was very obscene. He was very foul-mouthed. He was a troublemaker, especially when he was drunk. But one day, Joe got converted. An evangelist came in, shared the gospel, and Joe's life was radically upended at the preaching of the gospel. God had saved him, the old had passed away, and the new had come, and Joe was a new creature. But he still hung around the mission, though. But now he was a servant. When someone would vomit, he was there to, you know, with the mop and bucket to clean it up immediately. That was Joe. He, he would try to make the rooms as clean as possible. Uh, he'd try to clean the bathrooms and get that that urine smell out of there. This was Joe. He had quite a reputation around the mission as a changed individual who was a servant. One day, another evangelist came in and uh, preached the gospel and, as expected, called people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. One man comes down the aisle. He kneels down up front and he says, Oh, Lord, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe, God. Make me like Joe. To which the evangelist kind of leaned down. He said, uh, that's, that's lovely, but it would be better if you said, make me like Jesus. To which the man looked up and said, Jesus, is he like Joe? <laughs> Our service should be just like that. Simple, humble, service, whatever's needed, whether you're male, you're female, you have an office, a title named deacon, or you're a lay person, you're, you're, you're a Christian, you do whatever is needed, not for the title, not for the recognition, not to be recognized by man, you do it because we're following in the footsteps of our master, the master servant. And that brings us perfectly here to the Lord's Supper. Because he has served us well in regards to... Think about that night. The, the night of the first Lord's Supper. Think about the services, plural, that were rendered that, that night and really that weekend. Jesus shows up with his friends. And Judas is there. But there's nobody there to, to clean their feet. That person was absent. And Jesus says, I'll do that. It's needed, needs to be done. He doesn't say, I'm the son of God. I'm certainly not going to stoop to that level and do that lowly task. He grabs the basin, he grabs the towel, and he gets to work because it was needed. What else is needed is for someone to pay the penalty for our sins. We cannot do it on our own. Jesus did what nobody wanted to do, and he did what nobody could do. 
which is pay for our sins uh, and, and suffer for us, for all the wicked, vile things that you and I have done. And he wrestled with this because shortly thereafter, he's in the garden. He says, he says, Father, if this cup may pass from me, you know, but not my will, your will be done. Right? He came not to be served, but to serve. And he served us well. Very well, in fact. So if you're here today and you've embraced him as Savior, this right here is for you. If you have yet to come to that conclusion, you've yet to come to Christ and to recognize his value, his worth, and what he has accomplished for guilty people like you and me, then you need to abstain. You need to abstain. And while we, while we take the elements, may I encourage you, sit and think about this question. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul?